Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 John, John's second letter. In the epistles of John, we're going through all of the epistles in this series called Love, Truth, Love Others. Today, we're going to take 2 John all together. It's not that big of a book, so don't get nervous. Here's the key concept today. Love points people toward Christ, not away from Him. Love points people toward Christ. As you're finding 2 John, I wonder, you can just think in your mind. You don't have to call out or answer out loud. I wonder if you've ever experienced a hospitality disaster. Maybe you were putting on an event or having people over and just things did not work out. It did not go well. That happens from time to time. I I recall the time uh, in the very first church I ever was the senior pastor of back in Rochester, New York. uh, We lived in a parsonage, and literally the parsonage of that church, church church-owned housing, was in the parking lot of the church. And it had deteriorated a little bit, and Sylvia and I moved in, and we painted and cleaned, and the church put down new carpet and, you know, spruced the place up. And then we decided it would be nice to have the church people in to, to, to see the improvements that were made. So we, we had an open house after church one Sunday. Uh, we had food laid out and snacks and so forth, and we invited people to come over as they wanted to. And I remember distinctly as people were walking out of the church and, and uh, up, into the, uh, up into the parsonage, as we got ready to receive them, a field mouse came into the house and started running around the house. And I'll never forget the look on the, in the eyes of the people as they entered the, the parsonage to see me with a broom in my hand chasing that mouse up and down the curtains and didn't, didn't know quite how to get out. Maybe you've experienced something similar, a hospitality disaster. Well, in the scene before us in 2 John, there's a much more serious hospitality issue going on. It's not that things aren't going right from a detail point of view, but a woman is housing a traveling preacher, and she's beginning to suspect that what this preacher is saying is error in the meetings and in the teachings and so forth. And so she has already written the Apostle John to, to get some advice. What, what should I do? What do you think about this? And the letter you have before you in 2 John is the Apostle's response to her. So let's read just the beginning, the, the greeting in verses 1 through 3. It says this, The elder, that's John, to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, Not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace. 
from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and in love. Very flowery opening in this personal letter to this woman that the Apostle John knows. Now, we need to note that this is the only letter in the New Testament written to a woman. It's the only personal letter to a woman that's been preserved, and some interpreters kind of step back from that, and they say, well, possibly the woman that he's writing to is really the personification of a church. He's writing to a church body, calling them by this title, the uh, chosen lady. I just want you to know, I see no reason to interpret it that way. It reads like a personal letter. It sounds like a personal letter, somebody that the Apostle John knows. And this individual has a concern for the fact that the teacher that she is hosting in her home is uh, going off in error. This kind of hospitality was common. Uh, traveling the teachers or prophets or rabbis or whoever would be housed in somebody's home, very much like Lydia took in the Apostle Paul and his band in Philippi. But this lady here in this letter, something's just not right with what she's hearing from the uh, individual that she's providing hospitality uh, for. And John writes her because he knows her, and he evidently knows her family as well. Read on in verse 4. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. So at least some of this, woman, of this woman's family are following Jesus Christ as Savior. And for a Christian parent, as we see our kids saying yes to the faith and, and, and making that faith their own, particularly if they're adult children and, and, and walking with Jesus Christ, it gives us great joy. So John mentions that, but he quickly moves on to the issue at hand. Read verse 5. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. As you have heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Taken all together, what John is giving by way of advice to this lady is, I want you to find the balance between love and discernment. When we fail to find the balance between love and discernment in our interactions with other people, we uh, quickly go to the extremes. One of the extremes is the world stereotype of Christian believers as cold, heartless, judgmental people who don't really have love in their hearts but are just fanatics around the faith, kind of just judgmental and, and, and rigid. And the other extreme is the extreme where there is no discernment at all, and we adopt the way that the world now interprets tolerance, which now is interpreted to mean there is no absolute truth out there. Anybody can believe whatever they want to believe, and not only do we have to accept it and go along with it, we have to rejoice in it. And so, if we, if we lose a balance between discernment and love, we will run to these extremes. 
Tolerance rightly understood always applies to persons, but never applies to untruth. Intolerance applies to falsehood, but never to persons. Tolerance applies to the erring, but intolerance to the error. But that often is a hard balance to find. And that's what John is asking this woman to do. And the first thing in order to do that, the first thing she must do is evaluate the problem. Is come to understand the kind of error. She senses that something's wrong in the way that this guy is teaching. There's something off here, something different. But she must evaluate what's the level of concern of that difference. I want to review with you the four levels of concern that we must keep in mind as we hear various different ideas out there in the Christian society, the Christian world around us in terms of the, the, the church of Jesus Christ. Not every difference is heresy. Not every different opinion is something that we have to react strongly to. We need to be able to categorize what we're hearing that's different. Now, I know I've gone over this before. We're going to go quickly through it once again just so that we get the picture in mind. There is a level of concern that I call the least concerning level, and that is the decide-for level. The decide-for level are ideas that are really just a person's opinion, a person's preference, and, and, and of issues of style, those kinds of things. They're really not faith issues at all, but sometimes we'll differ on decide-for issues. For instance, what should a person wear when they come to church? What color should the carpet be in church? Where should we sit when we come to church? What should the music be like in church? What should the color of the doors be like in church? Okay, that's a decide for. We're going to take care of the problem, but it's still a decide for. It's not a big issue. It's just style. And, you know, it's, it's style and preference. And I mention it, however, because you would be shocked, and maybe not, how often the decide for issues are blown up in importance where they should not be. But there's another level of, of dif difference that I'll call the debate for level. That's underneath that. That's on the areas of doctrine that we may strongly advocate for, but recognize that in the Bible, from the Bible's uh, teaching, there's various ways of interpreting those things. And in this situation, I might find a, a particular opinion about this interpretation, and I might advocate for it, but at the end of the day, I'm going to wrap my arms around you and be a brother in Christ in the same fellowship because we're going to agree to disagree. They, they, we make a debate, but it's not something to divide over. Uh, and a good example of that is the doctrine of the end times. There's all kinds of different interpretations of what the order of events is going to be in the end times. And guess what? One day it's going to happen and we will know exactly how it's going to go. But until then, I'm going to respect different points of view because I recognize that the Bible's uh, evidence on this leaves some things unclear. Even if I have an opinion, I'll just debate for it. Underneath that one is the divide for issues. The divide for issues, these are issues of interpretation of the Scripture which turn into practice. In other words, the way that we carry out our walk with Jesus. And the divide for issues may cause me to choose a particular church over and against another particular church because I believe that the way that this church interprets this issue and practices the faith is more in line with the Scripture. 
In other words, we want our practice to be as close to the Bible as we possibly can be. An example of that is, for instance, the doctrine of baptism. Baptists believe that those who profess faith in Christ should be baptized. And those who are baptized are baptized by immersion because it mimics most closely the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we think that's what we see in the New Testament. Okay, now there are other Christian denominations and churches who don't practice baptism that way. They're still in the family of faith, but I might choose a particular fellowship based on this divide for issue. These kinds of issues are responsible for the existence of the various denominations that we find around us today, still in the, in the Christian, uh, in the household of God, but seeing things a little differently. But underneath those, the, the bedrock are what I call the die-for issues, the most important, vital, fundamental beliefs. These fundamental beliefs, if you don't hold them, you are not believing in Christianity, okay? And those are the die-for basic issues of the faith. And this is what John focuses on. Because he zeroes in on the most fundamental of the fundamentals, and that is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. He says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. John zeroes in on the most fundamental die for, and he says, Be particularly concerned about what is taught regarding Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is what Christianity is all about. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when the Bible calls Jesus the Son of God, it doesn't mean anything less than God. It doesn't mean God Jr. It is seeking to get you to understand that the essence of who God is, Jesus is as well. John 1, speaking of Jesus, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yet for our sakes, God the Son became a man. He became Jesus of Nazareth in a miracle called the Incarnation. John explains that in the same chapter, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he lived a sinless life and he died an agonizing death on the cross. He rose bodily from the grave and all of this was a substitute for us. He took on our punishment that we deserved. It was satisfying God's justice in a loving act of self-sacrifice. All of this is what we believe about Jesus Christ. And what you believe about the doctrine of Jesus Christ is all important. That's where everything begins. If you look at the cults around us and the false religions of the world, you will find that they all err on the doctrine of Jesus Christ. So John says to this lady, in your discernment, make sure that you have tested that one. Be particularly concerned about the doctrine of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on and he says something a little bit vague. Verse 9, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. It's a little vague. What does he mean by who runs ahead? That's the NIV translation. King James or New King James says anyone who transgresses. 
If you're looking at a New American Standard Bible, it says anyone who goes too far. That's probably a, the best translation there, who goes too far. See, what John is pointing out is this. There comes a time when some people think that they have outgrown the basic spiritual truths of the Bible. And they begin to look for something a little bit more complicated, a little bit more impressive sounding or impressive in experience. You see, running ahead or going too far can come in two different versions. On one version, it's an over-intellectualized version of the faith where we make everything super complicated, super hard to understand, and it turns into a dry and dusty set of rules and regulations. That's running ahead. On the other hand, running ahead is an over-emotionalized version of the faith, where we're no longer really looking at what the Bible says about things. What I'm searching for is an emotional experience. I want spiritual goosebumps every time I get together with people. And those, those spiritual goosebumps are really becoming the issue, not the Word of God. Both of those extremes are running ahead. Both of those result in less value on the teaching of the Word of God, the basic truths of the faith. If you want to identify a man-made religion, look for this. Look for extremely complicated systems, intricate well, uh, uh, procedures, and deep secrets that you have to earn your way to understand. That is a man-made religion. It's overly hierarchical. It begins to compare people to people. There's a pecking order and all this kind of stuff. On the other hand, a man-made religion is a religion that looks for emotional catharsis every time we get together, an emotional experience that you really could get at any rock concert if you wanted. But it's really nothing to do with what the Bible says. John says, beware of those who would run ahead. Beware of those who add to what the Bible says, who run ahead of Scripture, who see that the, the Word of God is not an adequate expression of truth. We need something more. Beware of those who declare that they have a new thought that no one has ever thought of in the last 2,000 years of Christianity, but by goodness, I haven't. Beware of that. Beware of those who think that if an idea is recent, it is always better. That is wrong. Some see the Bible as helpful, but just not enough. We want something more. We want a new book. We want a new teacher. We want a new prophet, a new revelation. John says, in all of that, they're running ahead. Beware of that. And then he says, be careful. Verse 8, be careful not to suffer loss. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but what you, that you may be rewarded fully. He says there's, a, there's possible here to get caught up in this error of running ahead and suffer loss. What's the loss? It's not heaven. It's not glory. If you know Christ as personal Savior, you are secure in the love of your Lord. He secures you. Notice he ties the loss to reward. If we come under the influence of error, we, we, we run the risk of losing reward even though glory is ahead of us. Here's the logic. When we come under the influence of error, we lose the value of our time that God has entrusted as a stewardship to us. When we get caught up in error, we throw away the precious moments of your life that God wants you to use for His glory and to bless others and to influence for the kingdom of God. When you waste your life on earth, you lose something of a reward and glory. 
Not heaven itself, but in a way that I don't fully understand, that I can't truly comprehend, but it is clear through Scripture. There are individual rewards in glory. And John is saying you don't want to lose that. Don't throw away the time that God has given you. Don't waste your life here on earth in the things that God is not involved in. Be aware. Be concerned. Be aware. Be careful. And he gives this lady then, he's writing to a proposal. Verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. So in other words, if he's not getting these basic die-for things right, you're enabling error. Don't do it. So how do we apply this to us? For instance, what does this mean when the Mormon missionary comes to your door? Or the Jehovah's Witness comes to your door? Are you supposed to slam the door in their face? Do you run them off your property with a shotgun? This is not a call to be rude, but it is a call to be wise. Let me tell you what that looks like. Be wise. If you are not prepared to give a defense of your faith in a way that explains the basic teachings of the Word of God. When the Mormon missionary, the Jehovah's Witness, comes to your door, instead of pretending you're not home or slamming the door in their face, identify yourself as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and one who sees what they are teaching as deceptive error and end the discussion by saying, I'm going to pray for you that the truth will break through. If you feel that you can engage the discussion in a way that represents the faith, do so prayerfully. But my advice is that you suggest a time of your own choosing and a place of your own choosing so that you can be prayerfully prepared and that when you meet with that individual, what you you state in the beginning of the meeting is, I'm here to tell you about Jesus Christ and to explain faith to you. I'm not here to find out about your faith. I want to ask you to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, this lady's setting is somewhat uh, different. This individual is taking advantage of her hospitality, and in the setting of the day, Christian hospitality was important. This is the way that we demonstrated our love for one another in the family of faith. We received other believers into our homes. Why? Because the inns of the day were places of ill repute. To be an innkeeper was not a respectable job. We don't want to get caught up in those kind of, up kind of places. So believers would seek out homes of Christians to stay in with respectable people, that kind of thing. But John is warning this lady, don't be taken in in such a fashion that you are enabling heresy to be preached. This was a real problem in the first century. It was a real problem in the second century. In the second century, Christians published a book Not part of the Bible, but it's a companion book. It's called the Didache. It means the teaching. And here's a passage out of that second century book. Now, you should welcome anyone who comes your way and teaches, but if the teacher proves to be a renegade, pay no attention to him. Welcome every apostle on arriving, but he must not stay beyond one day. In case of necessity, however, the next day too. If he stays three days, he is a false prophet. If he asks for money, he's a false prophet. Now, am I crazy or does that apply to relatives as well? (laughs) Sounds like good advice. But the rules are test for truth, test that he's not taking advantage, and test that he's not fleecing the flock, you know, 
Learn your theology so that you can tell the difference between true truth and falsehood. And when you detect falsehood, that's on that bottom line, die for issue. Do not pretend that it's not a big, idea, a, a big deal. It is a big deal because the teaching about Jesus Christ is the center of everything. And love points people to Jesus, not away from Jesus. And that's what we want to do. We glorify Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You so much that You have asked us to be involved in ministry. You give us a chance to speak words which explain the gospel, to live lives that show the gospel. And Lord, we want to be doing that well. So help us understand what is truth, what is error, what is important, and what is not. Enable us not to waste our time on what's not important, but to do the things that are truly valuable in Your sight. We pray for that, Lord, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me remind you, as always, that we have counselors next to the organ by the prayer table. They are waiting to pray with and for you regarding the issues you face. If there's something for which you need prayer, you slip forward and they'll be there to pray for you. But first, let's all stand together and we're going to uh, sing a song and then pray the benediction. You remember Keith and Melody Green? How many of you remember those names? Some, some of you? Some of, some of us were, were, were contemporaries. Well, I- interestingly enough, there is a song in our hymn book written by Melody Green. And uh, so there is a Redeemer. We're just going to sing the chorus. Do we have the words for that? There, uh, let's go to the chorus, okay? Chorus. Next slide. That's right there. Okay, here it goes. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Now you got it. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we are part of the work if we are yours. Help us to do the work well, we pray. Dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.